Well, we, we want to go to the word of God this morning. And, you know, we're in this series on Advent that's called Waiting. It's just the name of the series. And waiting is inextricably connected to the concept of Advent because Advent actually means arrival or coming. And it refers, of course, to the first coming or first arrival of Jesus and looks forward to the second coming, the second arrival of Jesus. And you can't have an arrival of a person or arrival of a thing without some waiting being involved. And so we're leaning into that theme this year because honestly, waiting is something that as human beings, we're not very good at. And last week, Scott Henderson, uh, our student ministry pastor here, he opened up the series with a great message that introduced this theme. And one of the things that Scott said that stood out to me as I listened to his message later was Scott said, you know, part of the reason we struggle to wait is our culture. You know, we've, we've sort of grown up in a culture, an American culture that just does not like waiting. Like that whole idea of, of, of instant gratification has kind of become something that we've all, in a sense, sort of been impacted by. And it's a part of the way we live. And without even thinking about it, we've sort of lost the spiritual discipline of waiting of slowing, of just sitting in anticipation. I really appreciated Scott's message last week. I texted him after I listened to it, and I said, it ministered to me. And I was, I was honestly listening just so I could know what he said, so I could recap what he said, and I found myself being really ministered to, and I was so grateful for that. One of the things that Scott said was he talked about the difference between expectation and anticipation, and I'd never thought about that before. He said, expectation carries with it sort of the weight of, of knowledge that you believe this is how something's gonna go. It's like, I, I know this is how this is gonna happen and this is how it's gonna go. You know, expectation was what I had yesterday when I started watching the Georgia versus Alabama game. <laughs> I said, I have an expectation that Georgia is finally gonna get over this hurdle and win the game. Well, you know, the problem with expectations is that sometimes circumstances do not line up with your expectations. Anticipation, on the other hand, Scott reminded us, comes with the level of hope that can't be taken away. And so I really appreciated this line. He said, the faithfulness of God will never let us down if we find our anticipation and hope in the person of Jesus, not in the circumstances of life. Faithfulness of God will never let us down if we find our anticipation and hope in the person of Jesus, not in the circumstances of life. And so we learned a lesson last week. Our first lesson about waiting was from his sermon, from, from the, the text he was teaching from, which was the story of Simeon. And here was the lesson last week about waiting. Drop the expectations and instead live in anticipation of the presence of Jesus. And that really is what Advent is all about, the anticipation of the presence of Jesus. Now, today we're gonna learn a second lesson about waiting, and we're gonna learn it from Mary, from a new text. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter one. We're gonna be in Luke chapter one, 26 through 38. In many ways, this is kind of the beginning of the Christmas story. When you hear the Christmas story told from Luke, this is often where it will start. And as I was reflecting on Mary's story, I realized, you know, Simeon's story and Mary's story are remarkably connected. On the one hand, Simeon and Mary could hardly be more different from the other. One was near the beginning of her life, Mary. One was near the end of his life. Under normal circumstances, Simeon and Mary would never have met each other, yet they had a significant encounter that connected their stories. 
And here's something that they both had in common. Both Simeon and Mary waited for Jesus to arrive. And so when they met, Simeon said a lot about Jesus. He, you know, he's kind of, he spoke at this prophecy of the Holy Spirit text that Scott taught last week, but he said something directly to Mary. And I wanna revisit that, but, but before we do, I, I wanna look at our text. But, but the reason we have Simeon's story preserved is because Mary remembered it. Mary was the one that told Luke, the historian Luke who wrote all this down, all about the events of Jesus' birth. And so we have the story of Simeon because of Mary and Mary's story is connected to his. And so let's look at our text this morning. I'm gonna read just the first few verses of Luke 1, verses 26, starting in verse 26. I'll, I'll read, uh, I'll, I'll start 26, 27 and we'll just reflect on this as we go. So here, we, here it is. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Let's just stop right there before we move on. The sixth month refers to the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Elizabeth was relative of Mary. Elizabeth was gonna go on to be the mother of John the Baptist. And so that was the story that we just heard earlier in Luke chapter one. So when you get to verse 26, that's the context. So in the sixth months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to this city. Now, he is sent to a virgin. A, a virgin in that context, was, was the term was used a little bit more generally than how we use it today. It, 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 it does mean a, a woman who had not been with a man, but more broadly, more generally, it meant a, a young woman who had not yet been married. Now, Mary, you may have heard this before, she was younger than what we usually picture her in the movies and the stories. You know, you usually see her maybe in her early 20s. She probably was a young teenager. You know, there, there's, we don't know for sure, but just based on the normal custom of that day, it would have been normal for, for a young Jewish woman to be married somewhere around 14, 15, 16 years old. That's probably about how old Mary was. The angel that was sent to her, the, the term angel just means messenger. It's another word for messenger. So God sent a messenger, and I can imagine the conversation between God and, and this messenger, Gabriel. God says, go to this little town. Nazareth was a backwoods, little, small, little place in Galilee. Galilee was kind of the, the, the forgotten place of Israel. Go to this little town and find this certain young girl and deliver a message to her. This was a very surprising move by God. It was not typical for God to send a messenger uh, to someone you know, that, that's outside of the, the normal realm of who you'd expect. So you expect maybe God to communicate with a prophet. You'd expect maybe God to communicate with the king of Israel. He had in the past. You, you expect maybe God to communicate with someone like Moses who's gonna go on to, to lead something big. But this was just a, a young teenage girl. Nothing remarkable that we know about Mary whatsoever. And God sends Gabriel to her. And you can imagine Mary's surprise. And, and we're gonna hear her surprise in just a moment. Look at verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. We'll pause there. Two or three times in Luke, we get a little glimpse of Mary's personality. Mary was a, a reflective. She, she, she was an, um, an internal processor, I think. 
You know, she was a ponderer. In, in Luke, Luke 2, uh, uh, verse 19, Luke writes that Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. And here in our text, Mary tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And so she hears this greeting, she's troubled by it. Another way to translate troubled is confused. You don't think she's like troubled in anguish right now. She's surprised, she's afraid, which we'll get to in a minute, but she's also confused. What was she confused by? Look again at what the messenger said, his first words to her. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Well, what's so confusing about that? Number one, Mary's thinking, why am I favored? Like, I, I, I'm, I'm just a girl. In that culture, in that society, she's kind of a nobody, especially until she's actually married, you know? And, and not saying it was right, it wasn't right, but in that culture, until you were married, you didn't have a status. And so here's this young, you know, virgin, this, this pre-married young teenager, and she's, she's wondering, well, what's, why am I favored? And then he goes on to say, the Lord is with you. What is that supposed to mean? Of course, the irony uh, to this is, is gonna be found in the announcement that the angel's about to give. He's like, you're gonna bear the son of God. And like, the Lord is with you in this kind of this very literal sense. But, but I want you to think about this greeting in a, in a little bit more of a, of a general context because I've been thinking about this greeting a lot because it was what Mary was puzzled by. Here's what I actually think was going on. Gabriel was talking specifically to Mary, of course, but more broadly, he was delivering a message to Mary as a representative of the human race. Here's what I mean. Just, just imagine, you know, the, the old-fashioned movies of aliens, the little green men, you know, they, they, they come to the earth, and what do they say? You know, greetings, earthling, we come in peace. And I think that's a little bit of what's going on here. This angelic being, right, this, this messenger of God, comes and he's saying, you know, greetings, favored one. It's not just that Mary herself is favored. She's a human being, and he's announcing favor on the human race. And he's saying, because of your humanness, in addition to your specificity of being the mother of Jesus, because you're human, all humans are favored ones because what's about to happen, which is God is with you. Emmanuel, Christmas. So hear it again, hear the greeting again, this time, not just for Mary. Hear it for the whole human race, including you. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Let's go on to verse 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. Don't read into the text that Mary had earned favor with God. That is not what it says. She found favor. What is favor? A lot of times we, we sort of have this idea and you know, favor means like, oh, someone's better than someone else. So they, they're the favored one. Well, actually in the Greek, favor is, is, is grace. It's the Greek word charis, which is most often translated grace. So uh, maybe even a more accurate or, or a helpful way to hear this is you have found grace. The definition of grace is unmerited favor. By definition, you cannot earn grace. Mary did not earn grace. She found it. She was going about her life just like you and me, and she found grace. By the way, if we ever think we deserve grace, we haven't actually found it yet. 
And so what are the implications of finding grace? Well, the angel says it right here, don't be afraid. You see how he connects those two? He says, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found grace. You found favor with God. You don't have to be afraid once you've found grace. And this makes perfect sense. If the God of the universe looks favorably on me, not because of any merit that I earned and therefore could lose, but just in the sheer goodness and graciousness of his being, if I have found favor with God, what do I have to fear? And then the message continues, and and, and this is the real big news, okay? And behold, verse 31, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him, give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So interestingly, Mary is now being named not only as a recipient of grace, which is something that she would have in common with all of us in this room, all of us who have put our trust in Christ are recipients of grace, but not only is she a recipient of grace, but the angel's saying she's gonna become a unique vessel of grace. She's gonna become an important participant in the arrival of grace to the whole human race. And so how will she respond? Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? A very sincere and logical question. And it also reveals Mary is still thinking small. Of course she is, right? She's thinking as a human being. She's thinking in human terms. All she knows is the way the world works around her in the natural sense. She's not used to miracles. She's just responding the same way you and I would respond. How could this be? This is impossible. And then the angel goes on, verse 35, he answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. This is a great response by the messenger. He's saying to Mary, think bigger. God's going to do this because God is not restrained by natural laws. In fact, he created the laws that we're familiar with. Therefore, he stands outside of them. He is supernatural while we are living in the natural world. And oh, by the way, Gabriel's saying, if you want proof of this, you need to go visit your cousin Elizabeth and see the miracle that God has already done in her. I love how God arranged Elizabeth to be a little ahead of Mary, you know, six months ahead of Mary, so that when when Mary visits Elizabeth, which she's about to do in the next section of the scripture, is going to be confirmed. God is a worker of miracles. And the very prophecy of the angel is going to be confirmed to her eyes. And it gives her the faith to believe that what's happening to her is of God. And so now we get to verse 38. And this is where we're gonna start to learn the lesson of waiting from Mary. And and this is a very significant verse. So we'll we'll spend most of our, the rest of our time on this verse. Verse 38, Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. 
uh, prior to studying this text this week, I had never really thought that much about Mary's response. I mean, it, it's a good response, but I'd never really thought about it. The, the more I've considered it, the more remarkable it seems to me. She didn't have to respond this way. There are many examples in the Bible of great men and women who did not respond well when the word of God came to them, especially when God told them something that would turn their lives upside down, which make no mistake, this news was turning her life upside down. This was not good news in many respects to Mary. It was not good news. Consider Moses. Moses made excuses when God came to him. In fact, Moses said, I can't be an instrument of God because I stutter. Go ask my, someone else. Abraham, God came with a message to him. You'll be a nation. And, and Abraham and Sarah were old and they didn't have any children. So what did Abraham do? He tried to take matters into his own hands and fulfill God's promise apart from God. Consider Jonah. God came with a message to Jonah. Jonah didn't like the message. Jonah just outright said no. He didn't even try to hide it. He just said, I ain't doing that. But Mary said something much more humble. I thought maybe that's why God chose someone of her situation. He knew this response she would give. She said, look, that's what behold means. Look, I think she's saying, look at me. I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Here's what she was saying. She was saying, who am I to say no to God's plan? Who am I to say that doesn't fit my agenda? In fact, think for a minute about what it means to be a servant. And this is, this is what she's identifying. She's saying, I'm a servant. I'm a servant of the Lord. To serve someone means making their agenda your agenda. That's what a servant does. What do you need? What's on your mind? What's on your agenda? I'm here to make my agenda your agenda. And so Mary's saying, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And so there's something here for us to learn from Mary about waiting. Because here's the thing about Mary. She's about to wait. What is she about to wait on? She's about to wait for the word of the Lord to come true and her to conceive. But that's not the last time in her story she's gonna wait. Mary had to wait to see what Joseph would do when she told him this crazy news. And that almost didn't go well. Mary had to wait for the inevitable scorn that she knew she would have as soon as she started showing. Mary had to wait for the baby to arrive. All the parents in the room know exactly what that's like. It's this anxious, nervous, scary, excited period of time. Mary had to wait once Jesus was born, she had to wait until it was safe to return to Nazareth. I, I, you know, remember the story. They had to flee Israel. They went and sojourned in Egypt for years before they could come back. Talk about a long waiting time, waiting to go home so your parents can meet your son. Once she was home, she had to wait to see what would happen next. How would Jesus become a king? How would that all transpire? During Jesus' ministry, she had to wait for it all to make sense. Mary didn't get it. Like Mary and the rest of the family thought Jesus was a little bit crazy for a little while. They, they did. On Good Friday, 
Mary had to stand beside the cross and wait for her son to die. And then for two long nights afterward, Mary had to wait for something redeemable to come out of Jesus' death. And I was wondering this week if, if Mary, maybe during those sleepless nights, if her thoughts ever went back to what Simeon had said to her in the temple when Jesus was a baby. Let me remind you what, what Simeon had said, Luke 2, verse 34. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. But here's the kicker. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. And I found myself wondering this week if, you know, in between the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, which by the way, she didn't necessarily know for sure that what was coming after his death. She was in grief. She was in anguish. I wonder if in her anguish over her son's death, she compared Simeon's message from God with the message of the angel that she was given nine months before Simeon, greetings favored one, you found favor with God. And I wonder if she found herself thinking, which is it? Have I found favor with God? Or has the sword pierced through my own soul? And of course is both. That's what life is. It's both. It's grace-filled and it's sword-piercing. And there's an awful lot of waiting in life. Waiting to see which will be next. The grace moment. The sword moment. And of course, at some point in life, if you live long enough and if you begin to mature, mature enough, I, I think you come to realize maybe they're not so different from one another. The grace and the sword. Let's go back to Mary's response to the angel Gabriel's message because it gives us our lesson about waiting. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In other words, what Mary was saying is, may it come to pass however, whenever you determine I won't try to change it. I won't try to control it. The grace, the sword. Here's Mary's lesson about life, which is really a lesson about waiting. The only real way to wait is with open hands and an open heart. That's it. 
the only real way to wait with open hands and an open heart. Waiting gives us no choice but to open ourselves up to possibilities beyond our control. Waiting forces us to loosen our grip on life. There's the grace and there's the sword. My family experienced both this week in a very personal way. My wife's husband, Tim, passed away on Thursday. Some of you know Tim. My sister Kimberly and her family attend here the Franklin campus. They're planning to come the second service. And Tim's story is a long story of waiting. When Tim was a teenager, he was diagnosed with Huntington's disease, which is a, a genetic disease passed to him from his father. His father died of Huntington's disease, and both Tim and his brother Bob got that gene, and they, they both had Huntington's disease. And um, Bob passed away in 2005. And Tim's life story from the time he was a teenager was waiting waiting to see when his first symptom would develop, waiting to see how long the disease would progress, waiting to see when he would die. And part of his story was waiting to see, would there be any woman who would go into life partnership and marry him given his future? And the woman that God chose was my sister, Kimberly. They were married in 1993. They had two adopt. They have two adopted sons who are part of our church as well. And last Saturday, uh, Tim had a stroke. Now he had been doing well. His symptoms had been progressing in him, and so it was very clear. You know, it's been a long time since he's been able to work. Um, he's still able to do most functions on his own, but but he was getting to the place where he was nearing full time care. And on Saturday, Tim had a massive stroke. And he was a little in and out of consciousness for four or five days. And in that time, God's grace showed up in powerful ways. And so we all walked in it together. And for my sister in particular, in these last five or six days, she has experienced the sword piercing her soul and the grace of God as she was able to communicate to her husband in moments of consciousness. And he, she saw his smile and she felt him squeeze her hand and she saw a tear in his eye. In moments of grace as she saw her two sons say goodbye to their father in a good way. And it was good and it was right. And moments of grace when she considers what God decided to spare Tim of the future that he was going to have as his body just slowly decayed and degenerated right before our eyes. In many ways, God allowed Tim to fast forward to the end. And Tim was a man of God, and he is with Jesus today. And Tim has reminded me what it means to wait. It means opening your hands and opening your heart 
to what God will do, when God will do it, and living life in the midst of waiting. And so I wanna say one more thing before we pray and then we sing and then we leave. I wanna ask you, how is it that you will be able to live this way, to live in this open-handed, open-hearted waiting, come what may, sword piercing my soul, favored one, which is it? It's both commingling. How can we live like this? The answer is in the greeting. Jesus says to Mary, or sorry, Gabriel says to Mary and to the whole human race, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. If the Lord is not with you, you will never be able to wait like this. You will never be able to live like this. You'll never be able to hold the tension of the grace and the sword and open your hands and open your heart and just step into whatever God has for you. There's no way you will possibly do it because without the presence of the Lord, you're afraid. Without the presence of the Lord, you don't know what's coming next. You don't know what your future holds. Without the presence of the Lord, how can you not grasp? How can you not control? How can you not cling on? Of course you will. But the more you see, the more you hear, the more you understand, the more you believe the Lord is with you, the more you can wait with open hands. And so what is Christmas all about? It is Emmanuel. It is Jesus came to be with us. It is Jesus came to be with you. And through faith, which is all we have right now, we don't have eyes of sight yet. We will later, but right now we have eyes of faith. Through eyes of faith, we say, I believe, help my unbelief. And I wanna admonish us to lean into that this Christmas so that we can wait with hope. Mary's waiting lasted a lifetime. And so will ours. But because God is with us, we can wait with hope. And Father, as we come to you and as we sing, which we'll do in a minute, and as we open our hearts to you, may you confirm to us the word of God May you speak to us through this text. May you say even to us right now in, in December 2021, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. And would you give us ears to believe? Would you give us eyes of faith? Would you help us to see the presence of God in this Advent season, in the circumstances of our lives, in the waiting, in the, in the dashed expectations, in the anticipation. May we see in Mary's story, in Simeon's story, in, in, in the stories we'll, that we'll still study to come, may we see in all these stories lessons of hope about waiting on you, for surely you will fulfill what is promised. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.